Amen. All right. Good to see you all of you this morning. I'm going to start this morning with what's probably going to be an, a little bit of an irritating question. Um, irritating to some of you because it's like, duh, so obvious. Why are we wasting our time on this? For others of you, it's going to maybe get a little too invasive in a place of your heart that is, you'd rather not look at. So here's the question. How important is Christianity to you? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, with everything you've got going on in life, how big a deal is this Christianity thing? And you know, we're in church, so a lot of people aren't super honest, so I'm not going to have you um, raise your hand or anything and embarrass you. Um, So I'm going to just ask you to answer that question, scale of 1 to 10, just between you and God, How important is this whole Christianity thing to you right now in your life? And just get real honest before God and say, I'm at a two, five, seven, ten, wherever it is. Now, for some of you, you're going to be in that one to two, maybe even a zero range where you're saying, you know, Christianity, I'm, I'm just not there yet. Like, I, I just have not gotten th- whatever it is that gets people to, like, get really excited about this whole God thing. I'm not quite sure about the church. I honestly can't even say for sure if God exists. And, you know, the Bible's got some really bizarre things in it that I, I don't know if I buy that right now. And if that's where you're at, I'm really glad you're here. Like, I, this is a great place for you to be if you're wrestling with whether or not you even really want to go there. It's supposed to, is that you recognize that Christianity is supposed to change things. And because you're not ready, you're maybe not sure about whether you want to go on that journey to be completely changed by Christianity... You're, you're in a place of saying, I'm not, I'm not totally sure yet. And that's, you know, Jesus was very complimentary to people who counted the cost before they jumped into it. And so if that's you, praise God you're here. Hopefully you'll get a little more to work with in terms of what this whole thing is about so you can decide better whether or not you want to jump in or not. Now, some of you are maybe in the three to six range, like... Christianity is pretty important to you, but there's a lot of things going on in your life, and maybe Christianity has been a little bit, uh, maybe it's let you down in some ways. Maybe some of the people and churches have let you down. Maybe as you've looked at the Christian church, you've been like, you know, when people get really all out about Christianity, sometimes they get really weird. And I don't know if I want to be like that. Sometimes they get weird in good ways, like Mother Teresa, and sometimes they get weird in really bad ways. I mean, we've got a ton of those examples out there. Um, And so if you're in a place where you're like, Christianity is kind of in this place, but I'm I'm just kind of, I'm going to go along with it. I believe in it, but I'm not going to get too out there about it because I, I, 
I don't want to go too far and, you know, get too weird about it. And if that's you, praise God you're here. I think we'll hopefully get some of those issues and questions are going to be dealt with today. Like, why is it that sometimes really on-fire Christians get really strange and twisted? Like, why is it that some of the best, like, most, most radical Christians really go off into the distance and get some weird stuff? Now, some of you guys might be on the, yeah, I'm all, I'm all in on this. Seven to ten, you know, I, I believe this. I want to follow God with, with all my heart. I'm, I'm here to try to learn how to do that. And I want to talk to you today about a danger, a, a distortion that especially is... Um, applicable to those who are really committed, on fire, fervent disciples, there's, there's actually a very specific um, a very specific uh, danger that you could face if you're saying, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. Now, we're going to look at what that is today as we look at Philippians 3. So, um, we've been going through the book of Philippians, and this has been a book about joy and, and just this, this uh, exciting, full life of following Christ, this just outrageous, contagious joy that, that Paul is saying in Philippians is available to all of us, that we can experience life to the fullest and filled with, with energy and flourishing and, and just the, the, the life that's supposed to be there for us. Paul has been walking us through in the first few chapters what this life could be with, with um, following Christ. And then right in chapter 3, He's, he's still talking about this joy, that, and then he, he kind of, all of a sudden, takes this strange left turn, and the tone changes. And we're going to just look, first of all, at 3, 1 through 6, and we're going to see him going from rejoice in the Lord always, like this full life of joy, and then he's going to get really like, hold on a second, there's something that could completely short-circuit this whole deal. And we have to be very careful, especially if we are all in. We're ready to run, and we're ready to go. If we're in that place, Paul is saying, hold on, just be careful, because there's a special pitfall that might, you might fall into as an all-out committed follower of Jesus. So let's look at what that is. Philippians 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Whoa, Paul, calm down. Uh, 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You hear the tone change there? Like all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of the blue, Paul's like, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to keep repeating myself and you guys are just going to going to get a lot out of it as I keep telling you about the joy of the Lord. But hold on, watch out for these guys. And kind of the, the background, there was a group of people of very radical, on-fire religious people who we now call the Judaizers. They were basically the, the first century legalists who saw following the, all of the different laws of the Old Testament, including all of the dietary laws and all of the, the laws of circumcision, etc., as the way to, to get your rubber stamp that you're right with God. And Paul says, don't, do not get deceived by these people. That is not authentic Christianity. That is a legalistic Christianity that you do not want to fall in. And here is the great danger for those of us who are committed, who are, who are wanting to be passionate followers of Christ. We have to beware of the tendency to turn Christianity into legalism. Beware, watch out for that temptation, that pitfall to turn the most wonderful thing in the world, following Christ, into a legalism that will sap and destroy your soul. And the hard thing is, these two things look so much alike. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the difference between a, a king snake and a coral snake. King snake is, is harmless. And it's got red, yellow, and black stripes. And you can play with them all day, you won't get hurt. A coral snake is viciously venomous and will kill you if, if it bites you. And it has red, yellow, and black stripes and looks almost exactly the same. One of these will kill you, and one of these is harmless. There are just, you have to look very carefully. It's actually in the, the order of the stripes that tells you whether this is the, the, the poisonous one or the harmless one. And we have to look very carefully because Christianity... Legalistic Christianity looks so much like a committed, passionate, life-filled, genuine, authentic Christianity. So we have to be very careful. When I first kind of got saved, when I, when I became a Christian back in, in college, I had already had a, a history 
of being a very driven person. I, I'm, I'm someone who gets obsessive about things, okay? I'm just say that up front. I, when, I was, when I was in middle school, I read The Lord of the Rings for the first time. And the nerd that I am, I began to read all of the histories of Middle Earth. I actually learned Elvish and tried to write messages in Elvish. Um, yes, I, I need to come clean here and confess. Um, I'm, I'm an all-out nerd. Uh, you know, I'm also, I, I became very, very excited about music because that's one of my great passions in life. Um, in sixth grade, I joined concert band and picked up the tuba. And I was about half the size of a tuba when I picked up the tuba. And I would take that thing home weekly to practice. And the people on my street, like, I just feel bad for them. Listening to a sixth grader practice tuba is not the most pleasant experience, I'm sure. But I was into it. I, I was all out, passionate. I'm a driven person. And so, you know, and another thing that I was very, very overboard about, I was a big-time basketball fan. Like, basketball was my life back in the 80s and 90s. Um, there was... Uh, every, every Tuesday, the USA Today newspaper would have the stats page. And I would buy the USA Today Tuesday and basically memorize the stats page. So at any point, if you told me any of the 200-plus players in the NBA... I would know their rebounds per game, their assists per game, their points per game, their free throw average. I, I mean, I would, I would just, I would, I would dedicate my life to the most random obsessions that were just what really grabbed me. And I, when I became a Christian, I kind of brought that, that tendency, that drivenness into Christianity. And so I wouldn't have said it like this at the time, but as soon as I recognized like Jesus is, you know, the one that, that was supposed to be my, my one thing in life, I, I was like, well, I'm going to be the best darn Christian out there. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out. And at the church that I was going to back in college, like, there, were, there was this group of people that were, like, going out doing street evangelism. And it was kind of like this, yeah, if you're really a Christian, you're going to go out and do this street evangelism. You know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be, you know, we're looking for a few good men who will be willing to, to brave the... And so they would go out every like Saturday night to Waikiki and, and preach to everybody on the streets. And I thought, okay, I guess that's what I got to do to be really a Christian, like one of the real, real passionate, like if I'm going to be the best darn Christian I can be, I'm going to go do that. So 
I went out there and, and I was like, okay, this is really weird and awkward. And, um, and you know what was, what was really strange that I noticed out there was that some of the people out there doing this were like, were like the most gentle, kind people. And some of them seemed like they really liked yelling at people in their face. Like, and, then, and there was one guy in particular who, you know, I'm, I'm thinking these are like the real, the real Christians. And one of the guys, I find out after he goes out and does the street preaching and bold and out there, then he goes and picks up some girl off the street and goes and sleeps with them after. I'm like, wait a second. I thought this is, this is where the real stuff was and this doesn't compute. And so, you know, I kind of lost the taste for that because it was like, that doesn't seem like the thing that makes someone a good Christian. So I kind of looked around some more and I noticed there were some people who were just Bible dictionaries, basically. Like, they would, they would talk to you, and there would just be this spouting of Scripture one after another. Like, yeah, Galatians 3, 7 says this, and, and then Philippians 4. And it's like, wow, these guys really, like, they, they know the Scripture. Like, wow, okay, that's what I got to do to really be one of those hardcore, no-holds-barred, passionate Christians i got to go and study the Bible. So study the Bible, get to know it as much as I can. And, and you know, and, and a lot of good resulted from that. But I also noticed that some of the people who were spouting scriptures and knew the Bible really well, some of them were really nice, kind, good people. And some of them find out that they're doing some terrible things in their family. And, and there's just like this disappointment that, wow, all of that Bible knowledge, and they're more screwed up than I am. Like, what, what gives? What? So I went through this whole series, and I mean, later I, would, I dedicated myself to going out and helping the poor and feeding the homeless and doing that for... And just one after another of these religious obsessions, things that were like, this is what real good, solid Christians do. And one after another, I found like, this was not the thing that made someone a good Christian. And so each of these, what could be good things can become a temptation, can become a, a subtle tendency to legalism. And I'm going to give you a definition of legalism because I think probably most of us have a, have a sense of what we think it means, but I think what I'm talking about here is probably a little broader. Legalism, definition, is pursuing any religious attainment Above relationship, make sure we get it. Let me say that again, just so we make sure we get it. Legalism is 
pursuing any religious attainment above relationship with Christ. So it could be you can get legalistic about things like evangelism. Like that's my thing that I'm going to put my confidence in to show that I'm, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to put my, my confidence in this work of, of preaching up here. That's, that's how I'm going to show that I'm a good Christian. I, I've checked off the box. I'm, I'm going to be the best darn Christian out there because, look, I'm up here preaching. Like, none of these religious attainments are good enough to place our confidence in. And the problem is that they are so, so tempting. It is so easy to find something that is part of the religion of Christ that we begin to love and pursue above the person of Christ. It's so easy. And so we have to be extra careful, beware, watch out, that your focus on Christ doesn't start drifting off and being a focus on serving Christ. Or drifting off this person of Christ and become about knowing more about the Bible. Or, or it could drift off and become more about sin management, or whatever it is that we drift away from the center of Christ and we begin to rely upon something else within the religious observance of Christianity. Now, there's a very simple way to avoid this. Well, simple, but not easy. Um, and Paul gives it to us. So, the answer to legalism is not to pump the brakes and say, I'm not going to get too excited about, about evangelism. I'm not going to get too excited about serving God. The, the, the answer is not to put a stop to serving Him. The answer is to push the gas on your relationship with Christ. Because the definition of legalism has these two parts, the legalism is pursuing this religion attainment above your relationship with Christ. So you can change that equation one way or another. You can try to push back on religious attainment, or you can push forward on your relationship with God. And I'm going to submit, based on what we're going to read in the rest of this passage, that the second is what Paul is intending for us. So let's Continue on and see what, what, goes, what Paul says next. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. And we're going to see Paul say, here's where you put your obsession. This is what you focus. Your purpose and reason for being alive is on this. And if you keep it there, it's not going to drift into one of these other things. Let's read what Paul says is the right obsession that will not steer us wrong. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake 
of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which comes but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, there is so much in here. I could, I could preach a whole other sermon just on some of these passages here, but I'm already stuck in the middle of another sermon, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but, but basically, Paul is saying, Here's the only, this is the only obsession for those of you who are driven people, for those of you who need a focus for living, this is the focus. This is what you pour your life into is an obsession with following Christ, with relationship with Christ, with this interactive intimacy, with this connection with the invisible God who created the world, come to earth in man. This is what is worth pouring your life into. It is the only obsession that will bring infinite joy for all time, not only on this earth as we explore Christ's way and, and where the infinite walk through this crazy world that we're in, but into eternity where the infinite God will be our obsession for all eternity because he's just that good. Now Paul in this passage goes into all of these accounting terms. You'll notice he's talking about profiting and loss and gain. So it's, it's kind if of, if you know anything about budgets, you have your profit, which is stuff that's come in, the good stuff, and you have your loss, which is the, the money that you lose. You have kind of addition and subtraction, you know, assets, liabilities, the, the, the stuff that you, you gain that's good for you, and then the stuff that you lose, which is not good for you. He puts all of this in accounting terms, and he says basically, you know, as a legalist, while I was going out and pursuing religious attainment on my own, I thought I was accumulating all of this gain. It turns out that stuff that I thought was gain was actually pulling me further and further away from what I really should have been pursuing, which is the presence and reality of God himself, of of the person of Christ. So on this balance sheet, all of my attainments compared to knowing Christ, all of these things are nothing. Like you going out and serving the poor and helping the needy, if it's done without a focus on Christ, that's going to end up being something that will draw you further away from God because you think it's all about you and what you're doing. And in, in fact, it's going to end up being in the loss column of your balance sheet. If you're pursuing religious attainment for the wrong reasons, 
it's going to end up drawing you further from the life of joy and goodness that God intends for you. So we have to be very, very careful that we do not fall into this trap of doing the religion of Christ without a relationship with Christ as the, the fuel behind it. it here, here are some, some things that you can, you can notice that, that will show you whether or not you're pursuing Christ first or you're pursuing religious attainments first. One of the things you'll notice is that the, the drive, the what's fueling you, the motivation, is going to suddenly become more about glorifying yourself rather than glorifying Christ. He talks about confidence in the flesh, the flesh being your own self-will, your own willpower and your own abilities, and it all becomes about you. And anytime, anytime you're doing the work of Christ and you start finding yourself more concerned about yourself and how you're looking and what, how much you're accomplishing, bring the focus back onto Christ. Because if that focus starts drifting onto you, you're heading in a dangerous direction. Another thing you'll notice is that when it's all about, you know, whatever rule you set up, whether it's, you know, the, when, I, when I first started following Christ, I had this rule that I should not listen to worldly music. Like, worldly music was bad and I was going to be good, so don't listen to worldly music. And, and I think for a time, that was probably what God wanted for me, because there was, I mean, uh, people need different things at different times in their lives. But I found, and this is one of those indicators of your falling into legalism, is you start judging everyone else by whether they're following your rules. And I found myself like, Wow, I'm, I'm listening to holy music. And those Christians over there are, they're listening to some worldly stuff that I think they're probably not as committed as I am. And I, I had a whole bunch of these different things, you know, different rules about what things I'm going to watch, what things I'm going to do. And, and legalism immediately begins to compare you against others and say, okay, I'm really good because I'm here and they're not doing as well. So legalism starts this path of judgment, of evaluating everyone about where they're at. And that's a, that's a sure sign when you start finding yourself in this constant comparison mode that you've slipped from Christ as the center, to something else. Um, another thing that you'll notice, like it requires you to get, um, legalism requires this perfection. Like it requires you to get all of the boxes checked. And so we become very inflexible. When things go wrong, 
That's very bad for legalists because then it's all about like, oh, I didn't get all the boxes checked. Now I'm not right with God. And instead, if we're going to follow an authentic Christianity, maybe you got the boxes checked, maybe you didn't. God still loves me. The relationship with God becomes the core thing that we're relying on rather than having everything else in perfect lines. There are more indicators of of, uh, legalism, but I'll just mention a couple. Um, You'll probably lack joy. Legalism is a very joyless existence. It's kind of a roller coaster where we get really excited about when we're doing really well, and then the moment we don't do well, we plunge into the pit, and then we have to work real hard, strive hard until we get back out. And we don't want to be on that roller coaster. We just want to be on a constant upward high with Christ of saying, He's the one that's my sufficiency. He's the one I'm relying on. He's the one that makes this all work out in the end. And I can just go along for the ride. Um, uh, okay, let's get on to the last part because I think this is, this is really where it, where it pays off. If these first two points are correct, if, if we have to beware of legalism of turning Christianity into legalism. And if the, the path to infinite joy is through this focus on this pursuit of relationship with Christ, then what should be our response? And Paul tells that response in verses 12 through 16. Let's read that. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on. To make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of and if call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything... If anything If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul here says basically, I'm not there yet. I'm still still struggling to know God better. I'm still on this path towards knowing Christ. And sometimes I slip, sometimes I get off balance, but I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to keep making my mark for the goal. And he gives this, this athletic metaphor where this, this, this whole kind of a, a, a picture of someone in a race who is giving their all to, to, their, to reaching their goal. And Paul is basically saying, knowing Christ is the goal, and so you, 
You give every ounce of energy and life that you have. You give whatever drive that you have, whatever obsessiveness that you have to following Christ above all else, to this relationship. And that is the only obsession that will never lead you wrong. So put your heart, put your sweat, put your blood and tears into following Christ with every bit of energy that you have because that's the only thing that's worth it. Knowing Christ is our Olympic championship. These people that Paul was talking to were very familiar with athletic games. They were, this was their, their world where the Olympics was started. They had a, a very high regard for the athlete, the person who trained and eats and sleeps and breathes to, to conquer that, that event to, for, for, for getting themselves in complete um, shape for whatever it is that they're striving for. Paul's audience here understood that dedication that was required to be an athlete. And Paul says, you were made for this event. God designed you to pour your heart and mind and life and strength into this relationship with him. He created you for that. And so of everything you're doing, driving force. This everything, make sure that this is the driving force. This is the white hot core of Christianity, and not only of Christianity, of life itself, of the universe itself. This is what we are designed to live for, is for a relationship with Christ that trumps everything else in our lives. And Paul is saying, Give it your all. Now, if, you, if you've ever been in athletics or you know some athletes, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, I was a big basketball fan. And part of that is because I'm just not built for athletics. Um, I can train all day and I will at most maybe qualify for the JV team. Um, but you were designed for this event. You were made. None of us are not well equipped for this. All of us have what it takes to be champions in the universe that God created where he is the prize and we are the ones who give our all to attain that prize. He's made you for this, but it might look different for each of us. Each of us might have different things that where we're going we're gonna to know Christ more through biblical studies. And if, if, you're, if where you are passionate about pursuing God is through studying the scripture, through understanding it, then give your all to that as a way through that to Christ. Because the moment you start getting your eyes off of Christ and just onto the biblical study, then it becomes an idol, it becomes a legalism, and it gets you off course. But as you pursue 
the Bible towards Christ, it becomes a part of this ongoing relationship that you were created for. Some of you are designed to, to go out and do evangelism. Some of you are designed to do, serve the needy, whatever it is. But make sure that as you serve, it's pointing towards Christ as the purpose and the reason and the driving goal for which you are doing this. And Paul, Paul says, you know, I, I'm still working on this. And I feel like I'm, I'm still working on this. Like, preaching is one of my, my things that I like to do. Um, this past week, as I was preparing this message, or I was supposed to be, you wouldn't believe how many things went wrong for me. Right? I, I was supposed to come back from my vacation on Wednesday night, and have all of Thursday and most of Friday to work on this sermon. And we missed our flight. And so instead of getting back Wednesday night, we had to take a red eye over Wednesday night, at which I got zero sleep. Um, and then on, so Thursday, instead of being fresh and ready to work on my sermon, I, I was crashed and just, I got a couple of hours worth of work on it. And then Friday, I'm like, okay, now I really need to catch up on this thing. Serving God, yeah, but I got to get this thing done because I want to get something that really works and is like good. Um, and then I come into the coffee shop, take out my laptop, and it says, your license has just expired for Office 365 or something. And I spend like hours, two hours, trying to figure out how to get that thing renewed, I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, God. And then God reminds me of this phrase in Philippians 3. We put no confidence in the flesh. For real, God, like, you got to do this to me now. Um, and God just reminded me. He just, I mean, not through like words talking to me in English sentences, but through a real clear nudge and direction in my heart, like, you are so caught up in trying to get everything right. And you're putting your confidence in the flesh. So why don't you work with what I've given you and do your best with that? And what did I have? I had a paper and a pencil and I could write out a simple outline. I'm like, okay, God, this is what you've given me to work with. And okay, it won't be as polished as I would have liked. As, I mean, but the relationship with Christ in that decision became the thing that says, okay, I'm going to make this about him, not about me. I'm going to work with what he's given me, not about what all the things I want. And I had to just surrender to God once again and say, I'm kind of focusing on doing a really bang-up job on this sermon, and I need to get my focus back on glorifying Christ, doing what I can, I have, is going to, and trusting that whatever I have is going to be enough. And 
I do that constantly. Not only with sermon preparation, with my marriage, with my work. I mean, everything I have to get used to saying, okay, God, what are you doing here? Not what do I want to do here. What are you doing here? And as we put Christ above all else, as we pursue him, pursue this interactive relationship, that becomes the thing that keeps us on track with all of the things that could get us off track. Pursuing Christ becomes our driving passion. And if we can keep that there, we will never go wrong. If we can keep Christ as our central pursuit, we will never go wrong. Can we have the worship team come forward? The prayer team prepared. I want to, this morning, I want to invite each of us, wherever you're at, to say, I'm going to put Christ first. I know there are dangers and pitfalls that I've seen people fall into, but now I know this, if I keep Christ as the center, I cannot go wrong. Maybe you're in a place where you've, you've kind of been wondering whether or not you want to go all out with Christ. You've been wondering whether or not it's going to lead you in a wrong direction. And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit has been tugging at your heart saying, you can trust me. Pour everything into relationship with me and I will steer you right. So if that's you, I want to invite whoever is here this morning who says, I want to make Christ first. I might not know how. I might not know like what's going what's to happen. I want to make Christ first. And if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet and say, yes, Christ first. I am going to pursue Christ above everything else and no matter what happens, I'm going to keep, keep going. Now, if, if you're in a place where you're not sure what, what all of this means, that's fine. But I want you to, just right now as we're worshiping, begin to pay attention to the Spirit's tug on your heart. What is He calling you to? Just invite Christ to speak to you through whatever it is whether he wants you to come forward and lay down your idols and your legalisms at the altar, whether he wants you to go off to, to get prayer for, for uh, just something that's, that's been an obstacle, whatever it is that Christ is drawing you, that's your opportunity to lean into this relationship with Christ and lean not on your own understanding, but to say, this is what I'm all about is responding to the call of God in my life. And I'm going to respond whatever he's calling me to today. I'm going to respond. And so let's respond to Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We just, we pry open our hearts before you. Search us. Lord, you know where we're at. You know the challenges, the struggles 
Lord, place your finger on the things that we need to offer to you. Lord, call us, begin to draw us, and help us to respond. Lord, we want you to be our single, exclusive, one pursuit in our lives. Help us, because we can't do it on our own. Help us to do it through your strength. We pray this in Jesus' name.